epistles in particular, talks about uh, one another as we relate to each other. And, uh, and so I wanted to kind of uh, spend a few weeks just kind of looking at those. And so this evening we're going to start in uh, Romans 12, <clears throat> which is a wonderful place to start because uh, that whole chapter really, it starts off with presenting yourself a living sacrifice. Uh, that is, I'm, I, I'm, I am the Lord's. I am here for whatever he has for me, and that is my commitment, that is my purpose. From there, it goes into spiritual gifts and how we relate one to another. And, uh, and uh, so Romans 12, uh, look at verse number 3. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we, uh, excuse me, for as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So tonight, uh, this afternoon, I'm going to talk about how we are members one of another, and how that fits together, making up this, this metaphor we see pop up all throughout the New Testament, and that is the spiritual body that we call the church. And so while we pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right into this. Lord, we do thank you again for, uh, for our time together and for all the, the blessings. Even as we're shared tonight, Lord, uh, uh, it takes uh, committed, wonderful followers of Christ to band together to make a good church. And Father, I pray that we would be a good church, not because we think so, but as you look upon us, that you would assess us as a church that is following you, that in everything Christ would have the preeminence and that that be our mindset. And from there flows everything that we do and, and uh, the family aspect that we have as a church, that we are truly members one of another. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us now in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we start this new series, we're going to kind of talk about how we relate to each other and one another. And, you know, as Christians, specifically a part of a local church, we have a connection with each other, right? Now, many times churches will say, well, that's my church family, or that's where I fellowship. We'll, we'll use those expressions and those terms. But I wonder how many times or how many people really feel that level of connection to their church, right? And this really is something we strive for. We're trying, by the way, why do we have potlucks every single week, right? Why do we, you know, I've shared it with some pastor friends that we do that every week, and they're like, eh. And people still do it. People, you know, they're excited about it, you know, and it's a little bit of a chore. But, but think about it. As families, you know, they say, uh, you know, with how busy our society's gotten, they, they, they say for a good, healthy family structure, it's important to make sure you, as much as possible, have a meal together every day. Come together every day as, as a physical, as, as, a, as a literal family. Um, why? So we can at least touch, check in. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, and as a church family, we want to do that. We want to have... These kind of connections, these roundtable, uh, uh, how are we doing anyway? How, you know, how, how have you been? And checking in. It's not just everybody shows up, here's a guy rant and rave for a while, and then everybody goes home. But, you know, and of course, preaching is a very important part of the local church, but we are members one of another. And if we don't know each other, I can't exercise my spiritual gift. We can't exercise our spiritual gifts with one another. You understand something? The, 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 the pastor is not the only person in a church that should minister. Right? Uh, now, uh, unfortunately, this is the part I don't like about the calling, and that is, it is the most public. 
It's in, I'm in front of you every week, right? Uh, I don't like that aspect of it, just it's not my nature, right? But, uh, but sometimes we think, well, ministry is, that's the pastor's job. That's what he's supposed to do. But, but really, and we're going to look a little bit more at this, the rest of this chapter, how everybody has a gift, and everybody has a part, and, and it may not be, as Chris mentioned, sometimes it is behind the scenes. Sometimes we might take for granted, like, hey, I showed up, and there are some burger patties ready, hot, with cheese melted, ready to go. How did that happen? Oh, by accident. It just sort of happened, right? No, we had someone that said, hey, I could, t- I could do the grill, right? I could jump in there. Uh, or maybe it was just the sun beating down on it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you see, everybody's got a part. And if we miss that aspect of it, and if we're not intentional about it, I don't think we'll ever be what God intends for us as a church to be. I don't think we'll ever reach our, our potential unless we become intentional about it. Saying, as a church, we need to know where each other fits in. How we can help one another. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And how do we balance that out within each other? You understand something? I have some strengths, but I also have some weaknesses. Okay? But some of your strengths will balance my weaknesses and vice versa. It just, it, you know, I'll tell you what, it's definitely that way in my marriage. And it's a blessing. It helps. And it allows us to even be vulnerable with each other because our strengths do balance out each other's weaknesses and so forth. And You know, as a church body, and this is what I'm trying to get to with, uh, with our men's groups, where we can just get to the point where we're just kind of, we're a little more transparent. We're just kind of open. We're trying to help each other walk with Christ. We're trying to say, hey, here's some lessons I've learned along the way. And we're looking at our young men and our young people and we're saying, we're saying, I don't want you to make the mistakes I've made. I want you to be strong. I want you to be warned and cautioned on this journey ahead. You see, all this is intentional. We, we want to be intentional about this. And by the way, I'm not trying to trick you in, uh, in sneaking this. I'm going to be very, very clear. We're, we're doing this on purpose. All right. Um, it's not saying, all right, guys, we have a potluck. And, and my, my, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to trick these guys into talking to each other. No, we, we do this on purpose because we want you to talk to each other. We want relationships to be built and, uh, and things. But, you know, in the Christian life, we are really supposed to encourage each other. We're supposed to help build each other up. And, you know, sometimes we don't do the best job. Sometimes we're a little oblivious. Heard about a couple that was um, uh, shopping together. And have you ever been split up with your spouse when you're shopping? Especially if you go to like Bass Pro Shop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when you're going shopping with your wife, you should probably uh, hold her hand. Uh, it looks like you're being romantic, but it's actually, uh, it's actually quite uh, frugal, you know, because if she's holding your hand, she's not spending money. Um, no, this couple is out shopping and uh, at the Bass Pro Hey, if you marry well, if you marry well, it'll be at the Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, it's probably the other way around. So this uh, lady at the mall or at the store, and uh, she realizes she got separated from her husband. So she calls him up, and uh, he answers and says, where are you? And he says, oh, honey, remember, uh, remember several years ago, we went to that one jewelry store, and you saw that necklace that you fell in love with, the diamond necklace, and we were too poor at the time to afford it. And he said, you remember that store? And, uh, and she kind of starts getting choked up. She's like, yeah, I remember that store. And he said, well, I'm at the gun shop right next to that place. <laughs> Sometimes we don't do the best job of encouraging one another. Or if you're like me, you're kind of oblivious like, uh, like that guy. But, you know, God's called us to higher relationships, to, to challenge each other to that higher plane uh, to, um, uh, along the way. And so as we look at our text, the very first thing in verse number three, it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, 
Now it's interesting, Paul is addressing these believers and he says, through the grace given to Paul, that, that, that this, this was his emphasis, that every man that is among you, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So he begins with this phrase, the grace uh, given to him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, If any man thinketh himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. It starts off with the thing of grace. This is from God. Let's look at it in that light. Now the Bible is very, um, is in fact the very revelation of God. If there's anything that I try to emphasize, and I hope the message has gotten across, that, that our Bible, everything rises and falls on what the Bible has to say about things. That is our authority. That is our final authority. That is our sole authority. We must come back to the Scriptures. And so as we study the passage, and, and, and many of the passages, we're looking through here and we're realizing these are indeed the words of God. And this is the will of God, and you'll never find the will of God apart from the Word of God, so I'm, I'm taking it as such. So according to this grace, the grace as God has given to Paul as he was inspired to write the Scriptures, and he's passing this along to us, he gives us a warning. And the warning, first of all, is the trap of faulty thinking. It's a, he says this again, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Uh, what's a word for that? Talked about it in Sunday school. Pride, absolutely. Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Pride really begins in the mind, doesn't it? We have thoughts. So I think myself to be high. I think myself to be an expert. I, I profess myself to be wise and I become a fool. The reality is pride ruins relationships. Pride is not attractive. You know, when someone is just so arrogant about everything, you're like, don't even try talking to that guy. <laughs> okay? He's not going to listen to a word you have to say. He's just, you know, he thinks that uh, he, everything's perfect, right? Uh, but really, it stirs up strife. But only by pride comes contention. You know, and, uh, and all of us are capable, by the way, of falling into this spirit of pride. I think every one of us. You know, and as soon as you start to think you have a grasp on it, that's probably when you're slipping, slipping the most. Right? Um, a young man had been hired to work for a, for a large supermarket chain. And his first day at work, he reported to the manager uh, at one of the stores. The manager greeted him with a warm handshake and a smile and handed a broom. His first day on the job. And, and, uh, and he says, on your first day, I want you to sweep our store. And that uh, young man looked at the manager and he said, uh, he said you don't understand. I'm, I'm a college graduate. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't understand. And he said, let me, let me take the broom. You, you do it like this. You know, college graduate doesn't know how to... <laughs> but, but, you know, we think, I, I deserve better than this. You know, I, I, I've talked to pastors before that wanted to hire staff members and would go to uh, some colleges that would have uh, days where you can interview some of the graduating students and stuff. And, and um, I was talking with one pastor in particular, and he was, he was wanting to find a guy who was willing to, you know, work a job and come along and help him out. And, and, uh, and he said, man, everyone I talked to, they just wanted to, you know, 40,000 a year salary and a desk. And, you know, they don't want to... To, to, to get their fingernails dirty and actually help get this thing going, you know. And, uh, uh, but, but the reality is, we, we ought not to think more highly than we ought to think. The fact of the matter, we are servants. The beginning of the chapter, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and accessible unto God. 
See, if we start there, if we're a sacrifice, if we're, you know, and by the way, what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is really reckoning himself to be dead, yet he's living. What does it say in Galatians? He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. If we just reckoned ourselves the fact that we're dead to self, we're dead to the flesh, but we're alive unto God, then, then, then there's no two tasks too, uh, too, too small or too great. Whatever the Lord wants me to do, that's wonderful. What, a, what an opportunity to serve the Lord. Galatians 6.3, If a man thinketh himself to be something, get this now, when he is nothing... He deceiveth himself. God doesn't mince words here. If you think you're something when in reality you're nothing, you've deceived yourself. Now, this is contrary to the way we think today, isn't it? The way our culture tells us to think, no, you ought to have self-esteem. You ought to, you know, strive. By the way, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've seen studies on where America rates in certain, uh, among, among other first world nations, in different subjects and uh, different categories. And we're falling far behind other first world countries in a lot of areas in, in academics. But you know what we're leading the way? Self-confidence. Self-esteem. We're confident of our ignorance. Right? Because we've so pushed this thing of self-confidence. Believe in yourself, you know. And I think about Joel Steen, building, you know, building a better you, or whatever his book was. And uh, I heard one person say, God doesn't want a better you. He wants a debtor you. <laughs> We're going to be dead. We're to be uh, uh, completely on the altar and say, God, what is it you want me to do? How is it I'm supposed to uh, live? A uh, psychologist wrote some, some remarks in, in, in guard, regarding this thing of our own self-importance. Extreme forms of mental illness are often extreme cases of self-absorption. The distinctive quality, the thing that literally sets uh, paranoid people apart, is hyper-self-consciousness. And the, thing that, uh, and the thing they prize most about themselves is autonomy. Their consistent fear is that someone else is infringing with their, own, with their will or trying to direct their lives. Isn't that interesting? They're, they're hyper self-conscious. And, uh, and, and which leads to all kinds of other stuff. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, Do not desire to be the principal man in the church. Be lowly, be humble. The best man in the church is the man who, will, who is willing to be a doormat for all to wipe their boots on. The brother who does not mind what happens to him at all, so long as God is glorified. And in that last phrase, what puts him in perspective? So long as God is glorified. You see, that's the chief end of man. That's, 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 that's the goal that we all must strive for. Is this glorifying God? You see, when that last phrase gets out of the picture, then you're like, I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. What would that accomplish? What's the purpose of that? But when all of a sudden we say, wait, would this glorify God? Would this bring glory? All of a sudden everything changes. Oh, well, yeah, that is what I want. That is my desire. That is the end. Don't be an, uh, an, an egoholic filled with yourself. There's a, uh, uh, possibly the most famous sports parent is LeVar Ball, father of the Lakers point guard, uh, Lonzo Ball, who is mostly known for his outlandish quote in, uh, in March of uh, 2017. Uh, he went on record saying, back in my heyday, I would kill Michael Jordan one-on-one. So this article went and looked at what his, uh, what his record was like. In reality, he had only uh, played in college, college basketball for one year, averaging two points and two rebounds per game. 
back in my heyday, I would have, I would have <laughs> schooled Michael Jordan, right? And uh, you know, it's funny how how the more time goes by, the better we used to be at things, <laughs> right? I was the star. I was, you know. Sometimes I think back. Also, also when we look back, sometimes things are more flowery than we than we remembered at the time. When I was in the army, I just was counting down the days of when I was getting out and everything. That, and then there, there have been many times. I'll be honest with you. Where I look back and thought, man, that was a great time. And maybe I should get back, go back in. And every time I start thinking that way, Carrie's like, hey, hey, wake up. <laughs> You're not going. I think that was the only time she's given me an ultimatum. And. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, the Bible is clear. We need to humble ourselves, remain teachable. God wants to have us to have a spirit to allow us to, 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 to take in his word. And let me just say, when you have all the answers, you're not listening for God. Hey, you may be in the word, but you're not listening. You're not taking it. Why? Because you've got all the answers. You've got it, you've got it all figured out. There was a, a pastor went with his wife to a, uh, uh, to a, a college there, or a, a conference, and they were going to honor the, the pastor there, and, and they introduced the, the pastor. He said, we have with us today a great, great, great pastor. And they introduced him, and he came up, and he, uh, he gave a little uh, talk there. And on their way home, they were driving in the car, and he looks over at his wife. He says, honey, how many great, great, great pastors do you think there are out there? And she said, one less than you think. <laughs> Appreciate wives that will humble us. The second warning in the passage is not only this not thinking of uh, more highly not to think, this faulty thinking, but there's forgetful thinking. It says, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Think soberly. See, God is the source of our gifts and our abilities. And, and that ought to humble us. That ought to uh, cause us to, to kind of sober up with our thinking. Right? Uh, we can look at our, our skills, we can look at our accomplishments, and many times we look at it and say, man, look at how much I've put into this to where I am now, how much I've invested. And there is this aspect of, yes, I labor, I work, the Lord works, but let's, let's be honest with ourselves. We can look around and we can, sit, we can recognize that there are some people that have some limitations that we may not have. Hey, I'm thankful that, 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 that all my members work. I've got all my digits. Right? I remember when I was a little kid, my parents told me, I used to say things like that. Like, I'm just glad I have all my fingers. You know, and uh, I was a very spiritual little kid, I guess. But, uh, but if you think about it, right? Think about mental capacity. Some people don't have the mental capacity that you have to allow you to maybe do your, your work or various things. We, we look at things and say, yeah, I've worked hard for this and good. You should work hard wherever you're at. That's a character issue. But there's also a grace issue, uh, an issue of God ge- dealing with us and giving to us certain things for us to be able to fulfill his purposes. And, and, and listen, it can all change like that. There. Just, you know, uh, at, a, at a moment. Uh, I know people, uh, I shared with you guys, uh, a friend of mine, um, our missionary Jonathan Fisher, his dad had heart surgery a couple months ago. And uh, while in the hospital, he, uh, he had a, uh, a, a stroke. And then his brain started bleeding. And you know, he'd been a pastor of his church for 35 plus years. And, and uh, he's in the hospital. I didn't even know if he's going to make it through the night a couple of those nights. And uh, he is doing better and he's recovering. But uh, how everything changes. You know, they even had a talk before they went into surgery. Pastor, what happens if you don't make it through this? And 
they actually have some things in place, but they, you know, they're, they're going to see how he does, and they're not going to make any decisions for about six months, and you know, just kind of see how it goes. I, I know another pastor, and they were having a missions conference, and his way home, they he had a brain aneurysm. I mean, and these things just come up on you. You don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. You see, every day is a gift from God, and every day is a blessing. So, so we ought to be sober with this thought, this thinking, and and, and not forget. Uh, that, that it's God that gives to us, and God is the one that delivers to us. He talks about uh, uh, giving to us this measure of faith. He bestows it, He imparts it, imparts it to us. It is God that gives us the ability to do the things that we do. Um, he is the distributor of the faith, the ability to exercise our gifts in service. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. Ephesians 4, 7, But every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every gift is from God. He is the source. And, and that's the starting place as we relate to one another within a church context is, is you realize the things that I have are for me to steward. I mean, we saw this many times in Jesus' parables, right? In, uh, the, the different stewards... That he that he that he talked about, you know, the the three stewards when the when the master went away and he gave one five and he gave one two and he gave one. We saw we we've seen these. It's not a a hard to follow um, a story and illustration, but some people have five. Hey, don't compare yourself to the five. Some people are incredibly gifted, and they make me sick because I do have to work hard at certain things, you know. And uh, and but but you know what? There may be some areas where I am then more gifted than some others. And I can spend all my time looking at the five. And by the way, I shouldn't be looking at the one either. Uh, I'm just going to put myself at two, right? Uh, but, but rather, how am I stewarding before God? It's required in stewards that a man be found fruitful. No, that a man be found faithful. A man be found faithful. You see, I can't, I can't look at what others have done and what others are doing. And i I got to uh, come before God and say, Lord, how am I doing with what you've given me and what you want me to, what you've put on my plate to accomplish? You see, when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. But this is kind of a starting place to realize there's a measure of grace. There are these abilities. And God has put me in this body. Where do I belong? How do I fit? And where do I go from there? So he gives us some warnings. And then, uh, and then God has a wonderful plan for this body of Christ, the local church. Look at uh, verse number 4 and 5 again. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. What a wonderful thought that he makes us into this body. By the way, I believe this. Every local church is a, uh, is a representation of Christ himself in their perspective community. So as we get together and all the spiritual gifts are exercised and as we uh, relate to one another, it should be done in a manner as though Christ himself was there. When people show up, uh, there, should be, there should be this mentality, this concept, wow, this is real. The Spirit of Christ is here. There's a, there's a relationship one with another where, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is what I read about Christ. You say, well, that's a tall order. That's really putting some... Some pressure on us. Hey, he's the one that calls it the body of Christ. He's the one that makes that connection. We see the uniqueness of each member. It says that we are members. And, uh, and the word there, member, is uh, uh, melos, where we get the idea of a limb or a body part. So just as my arm is a member of my body, my fingers are members of my body, that's, that's the word that's being used there. That's, it's a body part. And, and let me just say, 
we need, you know, there, there are some body parts you could live without, but that doesn't mean it's not necessary. It's, it's kind of funny how we can look at some things like that. Or maybe some thing, parts of your body that you may not notice until you hurt it. You say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, you know. All right, go home, take a hammer, and smash your pinky toe. <laughs> and you tell me how your day goes from there, <laughs> okay? Uh, I don't think about that little toe throughout the day, yet when I mess that up, ooh, my day's messed up, all right? Or get a little hangnail or something, your day's messed up. Um, but every part is definitely important. Some people think they have a less important role in the church due to their, uh, uh, maybe their undesirable un, uh, past or a less prominent role in serving or, or their uh, experience or what have you. But the Bible teaches it's the Lord that adds to the church. Christ adds to the church. We just had another new members class and I've been meeting with individuals that, that have gone through it or are going through it. And, uh, and really what I, what I come down to and the point is this. Finding out, figuring out, has the Lord added you to the body? That's what we want to know. Because I believe God has a place for every believer. But we want to make sure that you're not, you're not trying to fit in where you're not supposed to be and, and, uh, and make sure that God's adding you. He adds to the church. He adds to the body. And, and, uh, and He knows what each church has need of and so forth. And, and by the way, it's not my job to say, no, you don't belong here. Right? I, I don't believe that's my job. I'm not a gatekeeper. Right? But, uh, but what we do is we go through this and we say, how are you connecting? How are you? Hey, if, 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 if you haven't talked to a single person since you've been here and you're not willing to talk to anybody, I don't know if God's added you. All right? Now, I can say that. You're all here in the afternoon service trying to stay awake. But uh, there's a measure of there's something here I want. I want to be part of, right? And, uh, and so these are some things we look at. Jesus, of course, is the head of the body. He is prominent in all things in the body. Colossians 1.18, the preeminence. The body of Christ is to function well. Members of the church are to understand uh, who put them together and the reasons for their inclusion. See, that, that broadens it a little bit, right? It's interesting is uh, uh, in Hebrews, this is the passage we go to where God desires for us to assemble, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. But then it goes on, but exhorting one another. There's a one another we'll look at in a couple of weeks. Uh, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's interesting is as we assemble, what's to be taking place? Exhorting one another. Sometimes someone might show up to church and say, boy, I got nothing out of the service today. Well, did you exhort anybody? Maybe you were supposed to be there today to be a blessing to somebody else. We don't think that way, though. We, we have a very consumer mentality. Was I entertained today? Did I learn something I didn't know today? You know, we, we look at, and by the way, I hope you are challenged. I hope you grow, and I hope these things take place. But, but too many times, we, we don't think about, what was I supposed to do today? You see, if we come to church saying, I think God's got me here for something today, more than just what I can get out of it, but what can I put into it? Think about how that would change even just the dynamics of our church. That visitor didn't come say hi to me today. What, was the, what, what did you call them? Visitor? And you're not a visitor. That means they're your guest. Go say hi. It's not their job. You go say hi. Okay? That's, how I, that's one way I can serve. That's how I can be a blessing. First Corinthians 12, uh, 14 through 20, For the body is not one member, but many. The foot shall, uh, if the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, if it, is it therefore not of the body? If, if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, am I I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were the eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? 
excuse me, but God hath, uh, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. God sets the members in the body. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. It all makes it up, right? Um, if we had time, we could even go through and talk about how, how God, the ways God brought each of us here. I mean, it's pretty amazing, the individual stories. You know, some of them you think, well, mine's not that impressive. It's it, it, it amazes me the the journey people go on before they find you know to find where they belong, to find their church, and sometimes within a church to find their fit within that church. What am I supposed to be doing? I know of, I know of one man. He's a he is a full time staff member at a church, but he he went through several different ministries within this one church before he found where he fit, and he was getting so discouraged because it just nothing seemed to work out, and all of a sudden he found his niche. And that ministry just exploded uh, and, uh, you know, the, just took off the, the success of a particular ministry within that church. Uh, but it, it was interesting because it's like he tried this one, it didn't work out, tried this one, it didn't work out. But it, it wasn't necessarily him, but it was finding where he fit, finding that spot. Um, we have the uniqueness of each member. You have, you have the unity of the body itself. Not only is every member of the body important, but every member is to be working together. Um, four decades after the, monu- uh, 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 after the monumental moonwalk, Neil Armstrong reflected on, in an interview and he said, I was certainly aware that this was the culmination of the work of 300 to 400,000 people over a decade. He and the fellow astronaut uh, uh, Jim Lavelle uh, said that their favorite part of walking on the moon was knowing that they were part of a great team effort. You see, it wasn't just Neil Armstrong that stepped out. His name will be known forever for stepping out onto the moon. But it wasn't just, you know, one day, you know what, I'm going to walk on the moon today. I mean, almost half a million people were a part of that endeavor. Not to mention the finances of taxpayers. You're welcome. (laughs) But but you think about all that goes into something like this and to think of, wow, I'm part of something huge. And, uh, you know, really, so much teamwork in the local church enables the church to fulfill its mission uh, for Christ. You know, don't think you're, you're something small because, wow, I can, you know, sometimes we can get frustrated because I want to be there more than I'm able to be there. And I just can't. My work or whatever. Well, well listen, you're paying into it. Fin- you know, it takes finances, right, to do, to do ministry. That's a huge part of it, right? Uh, we can't all be full-time, uh, uh, full-time um, uh, church staff. There are, different, there are different aspects of it, right? People have their different gifts and their different you know, you know, things. Uh, your sacrifice, by the way, allows me to go house to house or to go uh, you know, to do the things that, 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 that I've done, to be able to study. Uh, if I had to work a job as well, and I've done this, um, it, it hurts my study. It hurts my involvement in people's lives. It, it, it impacts those things. And so we're all a part of this thing. Uh, and that's just, that's just, you know, I'm bringing myself up because I'm the only uh, like full-time staff member. But there are different angles, there are different aspects of this, and everyone can do something different. Some people just don't have the flexibility. They want to be involved, right? But, uh, but you, you see where you're at. You see what you can do. By the way, everyone can pray. Everyone can text. Just don't do it during church. We can be a part. We all have our part. And then we have a relationship within the body. John thirteen thirty five. and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love one to another. When the world looks at the church, they should see this something different. It says, here's how all men will know you're my disciples. The way we love each other, the way we interact with one another. And I'm afraid uh, there, there are times where the world looks at Christians and say, you guys can't even get along. What, what do you have to offer? You, you, guys, you guys argue and bicker just like we do. Jesus said, if you have love for one another, this, this is a proof to all men that you're my disciple. We have a responsibility to the body. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Intentionally, uh, 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 or lost my spot there. <laughs> oh, um, a renowned surgeon, Dr. Paul Brand, wrote uh, of the picture of the body and the church. So, the body of Christ, like our own bodies, is comprised of individual, uh, un, uh, of individual, unlike cells that are knit together to form one body. The joy of the body increases as individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isol- uh, uh, isolated outposts. What he was saying is he talks about the unique, different cells all coming together. However, what happens when strife develops among church members, uh, each member begins to seek or pursue their own selfish desires. Uh, it says in Philippians uh, 2, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And so just like when a cancer cell starts to come in in a church, or into, excuse me, a person's body and starts to even deform cells and cause issues within those cells, it starts to impact that body. That body becomes sick and it gets to the point where you gotta, you gotta even do surgery on the thing. And when these things start to come in, schisms in the body, is another word that's used in the Bible, these schisms, these divisions, these, these, uh, uh, problems, the way the members work together, the Bible says this in a couple places. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It starts to grow and it starts to impact. And next thing you know, you got a bitter church. Next thing you know, you got an angry church. Next thing you know, you got a sarcastic church. And these negative things start to kind of spread and we never got dealt with it. And now it's just infecting all the cells. Why? Because we weren't caring one for another. We weren't keeping the, 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 the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Each member has the potential to help or to hurt to be a burden or to be a blessing. After World War II, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by German bombs. As work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue of Jesus. His arms were outstretched and, uh, and beneath was the inscription, Come unto me. They had carefully, uh, they had carefully uh, tried to restore this thing, but with a lot of difficulty with the hands, they got to the point where they eventually just gave up. So they put a sign there, that said this, Christ has no hands but ours. That's kind of interesting, uh, uh, insightful inscription that they put on it. They couldn't restore his hands, so he said, he has no hands but ours. But, you know, that's the reality. If we're the body, we're the hands. We represent Christ to this world. We, we are to go forward in that regard. So we see the warnings that were given to them. We see the, the fact that we are uh, uniquely connected and then notice lastly, I want to talk about, in the rest of this chapter, the, the work of the believers as we work together. Look at verse number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Um... Uh, 
I got to put that last verse on there. Verse 9. Then let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Within that same context, he, he kind of throws that last one on there, which I, I think is great. But, um, but, you know, God equips us. God gives unique gifts. Now, my person, I, I can't prove this with Scripture, but my personal thought is that God gives everyone a primary spiritual gift. Um, you may be strong, maybe with a secondary one, but I believe he gives us everyone a primary spiritual gift, and here's why. The very purpose of the spiritual gift is the edification of the church. So we need each other. Yeah, you know, I heard somebody once say, I have six of the seven spiritual gifts. Well, you really don't need the church then, do you? By the way, who had all seven? Jesus Christ, right? Now, we're commanded to do all seven. You should be growing in your giving. You should be growing in your mercy. You should be growing in your teaching. You should be growing in your exhortation and all these things. But there's one that just comes natural. And the purpose is because we are to be fit together. You know, the prophets in the church are balanced by the mercy. And, 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 and on and on. They're, they're complementary of each other, these gifts. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but uh, when you read through the New Testament, you really see two categories of spiritual gifts. You see temporary gifts, which are signs gifts, and permanent edifying gifts, which I believe are for today. The temporary gifts, these are the miraculous gifts, healings and speaking in tongues and... and um, they were really given to validate the gospel message. They were given primarily for the Jews. The Bible says that the Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after knowledge, but we preach Christ. And, uh, and a lot of that in the very beginning, I'm not going to dive into all that, but, uh, but it's interesting, these were during the apostolic age. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Truly the signs of the apostle were wrought among you in all, uh, with, uh, in, excuse me, in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Um, it's very specific though in 1 Corinthians 14.22 Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe but to them that believe not but prophesying serves not for them that believe not but for them which believe. And you ask a church that tends to practice tongues you say why do you guys do tongues? And they'll say well it's for the edification of the church. Well it just said in 1 Corinthians 14 that it's not to them that believe but to them that believe not. And specifically the context I believe the unbelieving Jew is what it's referring to. This was assigned to them. Tongues was always assigned to the Jews. Uh, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it was, uh, it was something that would catch their attention, no doubt, in the New Testament. But uh, uh, what's interesting is, uh, is during the apostolic age, the Bible talks about how uh, they'll be bit by snakes, and they're going to survive. They'll drink poison, and nothing bad will happen to them. And, you know, and, and they love to hold on to a couple of the ones, like tongues and everything, but how, you know, how many of them are willing to go and volunteer to, uh, to, to drink some engine coolant? You see, um, actually a solid debate one time on the existence of God, this, uh, this, this one brilliant man, he, he, he did a lot of stuff with prosthetics, and, uh, but he was the atheist, and he was an angry atheist, boy. Uh, and then there was, the, there was two atheists and two uh, preachers that were debating the existence of God, and he, uh, he quoted that text, and he, and he said, I've got, and he poured this, this coolant, into a cup, and it's bright green, right? And he challenged any of the people in the audience who claim to be believers and believe the Bible to drink it. And he said, nothing will happen to you, right? Folks, this is a rightly dividing the word of truth issue. But it's funny how they'll, they'll gladly say, well, we're not supposed to, you know, drink poison, and I definitely don't want to play with snakes. But they'll, they'll try these other things. Uh, uh, those went away, and maybe we can do a study just on that sometime. Um, with, uh, with the apostolic age, really. Uh, the Bible says... Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, that tongues would cease. 
says that which is in part is uh, when it, uh, when that which is part is done away is when it would cease. And whatever that in part is, I believe it was the word of God. Once the word of God was complete, those things that were in part, the tongues, the prophesying, those kinds of things would be done away with. What's interesting is regardless of when you say it would be done away with, the Bible says it would be done away with. And it did disappear for about uh, 1,800 years. And then all of a sudden it would just come back again. I don't know. That's another issue. We'll dive into some other time. But there are the permanent edifying gifts, which I find, we find in Romans 12. By the way, none of the latter epistles talk about the signs gifts. Uh, Paul himself apparently had lost the gift of healing along the way because he left some people behind who he didn't heal. He himself needed healing and did not get healed when he begged God three times for, uh, for healing. And um, so it, it had stopped along the way somewhere. But these are permanent edifying gifts, and it's for the purpose. Remember, tongues were for those that didn't believe. But these permanent gifts were for the edifying of the body itself. And um, uh, <clears throat> these, were, these are divine gifts. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou, that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst uh, receive it, why dost thou glory if thou hast not received it? Now, what he's saying is, you know, this is a gift. Uh, this isn't something you've done. You should not be proud of it. This is something that, that, that we glorify God, that he gave you this gift. But Paul asked uh, the Corinthians, if, every good, if everything good in your life is a gift of grace, how could you possibly brag about how great you are? That's the point. Uh, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves. He talks, he talks about, uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about uh, uh, how some plant and some water, but it's God that gives the increase. You see, you and I can't make a plant grow on our own. We might dig a hole, we might plant the seed, but at some point there are some things that are completely out of control for that thing to happen. So that's the illustration that he uses and says, so neither is he that planteth anything, Neither is he that water is anything, but it's God that gives the increase. You know what he's saying? As the church planner, as the, as, the, as the preacher, he said, I am nothing. I'm nothing. Sometimes we can look at Paul's writings and say, wow, this guy was kind of arrogant. I think, I think just the opposite. I think he really saw himself as nothing, and that gave him the boldness to say the things he needed to say because he already reckoned himself as nothing, <laughs> right? But he'd say things like, I labor more abundantly than, than you all. Wow, Paul. Not I, but the grace of God that's in me. God's grace allowed me to do what I've done. So the work of grace and service. We see these gifts. I'm just going to go through them real quick. Prophecy. Uh, the gift of prophecy focuses on discerning, discernment and insight, knowing right from wrong. Uh, everything in the scripture is kind of seen as black and white. And sometimes the prophet, the one with the gift of prophecy, uh, tends to seem like he lacks compassion. Right? He's got the, the, the scripture shotgun just ready to blow you out of the water, right? And uh, um, that's what he does. Teaching, those with this gift, have a God-given ability to, to, to really prove it more. Rather than just black and white, here's why this is truth. And, and he goes to the scriptures and try, tries to pull it out that way. A little boy uh, uh, was attending his uh, first grade Sunday school class, and his teacher would always give these stories. And at the very end, he'd come ar- she'd come around with a moral of the story. And he loved the morals. You know? She said, class, the moral of the story is... And, and they'd kind of uh, pick up on it. Well, as he moved along, was in his next, uh, next grade, and, and uh, he's in this class for a while, but she didn't really do the stories quite the same and wouldn't give the moral at the end. And so his mother asked him one day, uh, Tommy, how are you enjoying your new Sunday school class? He said, it's okay, but the teacher has no morals. 
<laughs> but, you know, the gift of teaching is uh, being able to bring these truths about and, and be able to prove it really from Scripture. Um, exhorting. This person, has, with the gift of exhortation, uh, naturally encourages. Uh, maybe he helps you see life's lessons through the trials you're going through. What can we learn from this? It's a building up and exhortation. Um, the gift of uh, edifying people. Ministering. This focuses on the act of service. It involves simply uh, helping uh, with whatever needs to be done and serving with a willing heart. Sometimes, many times they like to serve behind the scenes. But, you know, they're the ones that will jump to, what can I do? Uh, they'll be the first to put their name on the list for the yard sale. So everyone can run back there, whose name's on it? No. Um, but they, they, they just want to minister. How can I be a help? Giving. Some of the ability to give abundantly, that above and beyond. He, he encourages, uh, uh, give, God encourages giving in them. And let me just say this, the gift of giving is, is, goes along with the gift of getting. This person is usually good with money and can balance uh, his budget and can organize in that regard. Um, the gift of ruling. Ruling or administrating is the ability to dig deep and to see details and uh, 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 make mind cor- uh, uh, mid-course judgments and strategic planning. You might say, you might call it the gift of administration and uh, being able to organize real well. The gift of mercy. They're the ones that know how to weep with those that weep. They are compassionate. They, they, they see uh, from the person's perspective who's going through the situation they're going through. And mercy people, by the way, are very important in the church. And if we're not careful, we tend to downplay them. And we say, oh, they're, they're just weak. That's what they are. And uh, let me just say, that's a very vital part of the church. So we see, we see how those things tie in. And, and then uh, work with, we ought to work together with a gracious spirit. Uh, notice what it says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Dissimulation carries the idea of hypocrisy or two-facedness. Let love be without dissimulation. In other words, as I'm serving, you know, uh, uh, I, I look at you, Chris, and I say, you know, Chris, I just love you. All right, and I'm like, that Chris, I'm always having to just pick up his mess and just, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, we could do that uh, with each other. We've got to be so careful. Love without dissimulation, where we actually display it, we demonstrate it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. How love is so important, that that is our motivating aspect of it. And then verse 10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Preferring one another. Philippians 2, 2 and 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other uh, better than themselves. That's a challenge. That's a verse that's challenged me uh, a couple of years ago. It really just leaped out at me. Esteeming others better than yourself. Now, remember what we talked about. The, the first verse we looked at, not to see yourself higher than you ought to, pride. This is the real challenge of pride. Do you see others, esteem others, better than yourselves? Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I go that far. I mean, I'll serve everyone, but... Esteeming them better than yourselves? Folks, that's the chapter that says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. And I want to be careful. I don't want to sound, I don't want to blaspheme at all. But let me just say this. Christ esteemed us so much that our redemption was worthy in his mind to lay down his life for us. That is the full display of what it is to esteem others better than themselves. Think about that. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, 
He killed his son. Think about that. That's what he did. As believers, we ought to lay down our lives for others. So how can we as believers lift up God's wonderful plan for his church? First, we need to humbly recognize our gifts are from God. Secondly, we ought to realize that our gifts are unique and meant to be used to serve one another, to serve each other. Every member is responsible to maintain the unity of the church. And then lastly, we should put others before ourselves and serve fellow members with a gracious spirit. That's our goal. That's what we as a church ought to strive for. And let me just say this. There is an intellectual part of it where we look to the scriptures and say, how are we to behave? But the more we exercise and the more we check ourselves with this, it actually becomes the culture where you don't have to think about it. You just step to it. Our, our kids will see it. Hey, mom and dad, they see a need and they just jump to. And, and before long, they start seeing needs and jump to. And, and it just kind of becomes the culture. This is what we do is how we behave as believers and members one of another. We, 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 we fit together in that way. You see? And I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't have that. I'm also not saying that we haven't necessarily arrived in that. There's always room for growth. But the idea is this, that I want to be very mindful. How do we serve one another? How, we do, how, do, we dis- how do we display it before one another? Because it becomes contagious, right? When, uh, when, you know, when I go outside and the men are all around that tent, gotten a, a post and everything, and I'm standing there, I'm like, I'm the only guy that's not out there. I've got to run over there and jump in, right? It's contagious, right? I'm going to be a part of putting this tent up before people say, Pastor didn't help. <laughs> now, I got busy and I didn't help this last time, but I'll help put it down if I'm... But you see what I'm saying, though? There, there is even a peer pressure or whatever, like, let's serve each other. Let's meet needs. Let's find a way, you see. And that's a part of being a body, okay? And that's the kind of body that people want to be a part of and say... Say, wow, God really is displayed here. The love of Christ is really on display here. Let brotherly love, uh, uh, what, is, what is the verse there? Um, Let love be without dissimulation. Verse I'm trying to think of. Um, anyways, you get it. <laughs> Serving one another with brotherly love. And that's, uh, that's what we want to strive for as a church. So we'll look at more of those one another's, but uh, I'm excited about it. It's, every time... When I'm going to come across that as I was reading, it just kind of leaped out at me. And uh, let's look at these one another's. How are we to relate one with another? Well, the, the fact that God has put us here, part of this church, we are members one of another. You see? And it even carries that idea on in, the, in uh, 1 Corinthians as well, uh, chapter 10 and uh, other places. But I hope that's a blessing to you as we go through this series. Uh, you guys stayed awake after having full bellies. Good job. Of course, you don't have to leave right away. We can still fellowship and have some, uh, some games and whatnot, but appreciate you all for, uh, for being here. And, and like Jason said earlier, uh, let us know if you're enjoying this, if it's too much or whatever. Um, we want some feedback as we make some decisions. And this isn't, again, this was just, you know, hey, let's try something different, see how it goes. Hope it's a blessing. But don't be dismissed with a word of prayer. Um,